6. And so I invite everyone to stand as we read the Word of God. So this is Matthew 6, starting at verse 19. Treasures in heaven. Do not store up for yourselves treasure, treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tim. Good morning, everybody. How's it going? Come on now. It's sunny out, and it is like almost the end of November. So that's exciting, isn't it? Come on. You doing good this morning? Excellent. Yeah, great to, uh, great to be with you this morning. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name's Chris. I am also one of the elders here. Uh, West Village, my joy and privilege to be able to open God's word with you this morning. Uh, we are in our last week, as Tim alluded to, we're starting our Advent series next week. So this Sunday is our last week in this sermon series. Uh, we've been calling life, death, and taxes, life on the other side of the garden. And the big idea in this uh, series is that, um, uh, and, and it's sort of an extension of the series we came out of, which uh, we did this fall called Based on a True Story, where we looked at the, the Bible as the story of God. Like, that is the true story, the story that defines all of reality for all of humanity. And then in this series, what we're saying is like, well, what does it look like to actually live in light of that story? In other words, God has a, a picture for us in his story of the way that the world is supposed to work. We, we've been calling it like a garden vision or, or an Eden vision. I don't know if Edenic is a word. Is that a word? I just was like, an Edenic vision? Like, no, this picture, though, of the way that the world is supposed to be. But obviously, sin and brokenness have corrupted the world, and it would not be a stretch for any of us to look at the world and go, this is not the way it's supposed to be. We see that in our own personal lives and the brokenness we've experienced in our own homes, but then on a larger societal, global scale, we see brokenness everywhere. This is not the way that things are supposed to be. But yet in the middle of God's story, there is this redemptive reality where Jesus comes in and he starts to redeem things, the broken things, the things that are not the way that they're supposed to be, he starts to fix them. He starts to repair them. He starts to restore them. He starts to, this is a very theological concept, but he starts to redeem them, taking the broken and repairing it, fixing it, making it back into the way it was supposed to be. And all of us look forward to a day where that work will be complete. But we find ourselves in the middle of that story. We find ourselves not in the garden, not in the garden to come, but in the middle where we have to live. And where if we're not careful, if we allow another story, not the story of God, but another story to define reality for us, life can suddenly become very empty, hollow, purposeless, meaningless. We start to try and find meaning in other things, but it just continues to come up short. And the only thing that is guaranteed apart from the redemptive work of Jesus, is, and this is why we've called the sermon series this, is that we're going to live, we're going to die, and in the middle we're going to have to pay some taxes. So what does it look like for Jesus to come in and do what he's actually doing? We may not be aware of it, but do what he's actually doing, which is redeem everything. Every breath we take, every molecule that exists in the cosmos is being redeemed by him. 
what would it look like for us to take what are seemingly the mundane things of this world and see them as things that are being redeemed? So, so we talked week one about just this idea of expressive individualism. What does it look like to actually recognize that we have deep need to be connected both to our creator and to other people? Last week, we talked about this idea of work. What does it look like for Jesus to redeem work? You can catch those online, podcasts. They're all over the place. Today, we're going to talk about this idea of money. 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 You came on a Sunday where we're talking about money. Yeah, you did. You're like, dang it. Shoot. Well, here you are. Too late now. So the working title for this morning is Jesus and money. And so the obvious question is, why would we talk about money? Why would we do this? I mean, I could have picked anything. It's a topical sermon series. I just get to sit in my office and decide, what are we going to talk about today? And for this morning, I decided, let's talk about money. Why? I'll give you a couple of reasons. The first one is this. I think uh, this is the most, well, maybe not the most important one, it's, but it's an important one. Because money is a significant part of all of our lives. It's a significant part of the human experience. Second reason is because Jesus talked about money a lot. For Jesus, money was an extremely important topic. He talked about uh, money. Nearly 25% of the words that he spoke had something to do with money, resources. He used money as an illustration, but he often did talk specifically about money. And honestly, if you're to go through the gospel, some of Jesus's harshest and most significant and severe warnings have to do with how we handle our money. For example, I'll just read a couple here. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. He will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Uh, here's another significant one, and this one should cause us honestly to shake in our boots. He says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. So it's a pretty big deal. So if it's important to Jesus, it should be important to us. And then the, the last reason is just because we honestly, we just haven't talked about it in a long time, and I kind of thought it would be fun. Yeah? Yeah. I'll just say this. I brought this book up with me. This is a really handy uh, book. It's called The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. We do sell this out at our bookstore. Um, and, and just so you know, whenever I promote a book, usually what I do is I go, I forget to bring it with me, so I go to the bookstore, I grab it off the table. It's exactly what I did today. I throw it on my Bible here. I bring it up. I forget to put it back at the table. I already have this book at home, so if you want a free copy of it, just come find me in the lobby. Whoever gets to me first gets the copy. Here's what I'll say about this book, though. We have had this book in our bookstore uh, for 12 years, like for basically as long as we've had a bookstore at West Village. I don't think we've ever had to reorder it. <laughs> reorder it. And, and I'll say this, too. Uh, I've been working in vocational ministry where I, you know, have the joy and privilege of helping people, counseling people. I have never in 20, I think it's 21 years now, not one time has anyone ever knocked on my door, sent me an email, shot me a text, said, Chris, I need to talk to you about something I'm really struggling with. And then I sit down with them and they go, I think, I think I'm greedy. I'm a really greedy person. Can, can you help me with that? Never once happened. So what that means is one of two options. One, either I've always had the privilege and the joy of working amongst the most generous, self-sacrificing people who have ever lived in all of history. One option. 
or we have a glaring blind spot that we might not be aware of. I'll let you decide. <laughs> so if you have a Bible, go to Matthew 6. I will, we're going to be in a few different places, though. Like, if you want to follow along in the text where, where we're going to be, we're going to be Genesis 2, uh, Genesis 3, Genesis 1, and then, and then we're going to go um, uh, back into Matthew 6 towards the end if, if we have time. I think we'll have time. I think we'll have time. I, I believe in me. I believe in us. Well, I don't know, but I believe in Jesus. Um, and so what I'm going to do this morning, what, what, this is what I've been doing in every series, I, I, and what I'm really trying to... If you haven't picked up on this yet, what, what my heart behind this teaching series has been is to really give us a framework by which we can actually think biblically, not just about the topics that we're talking about, but all the topics, all the topics in all the world, to actually give us a framework by which we can take the story of God and apply it to our lives. And so there's just been a consistent theme in each of the weeks of this series, and you can actually work out just about any human issue through this lens, which is we go back to the garden and we go, what was God's intent for this particular issue? Work, community, today money. Then we go, okay, Genesis 3, how has sin corrupted it? How do we see that in the garden? How do we see that working itself out in our own lives? Now let's fast forward and go, how is Jesus actually bringing redemption to these things? And if we can, if we can understand that framework, then we can actually start to on our own, ask the question, what does it look like to live in light of the story of God? How does the story of God become the thing that shapes the gospel of Jesus? How does it become the thing that shapes me? So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to go back to the garden and see what God's original intent for money is. Now, now what's interesting is if you go back to the garden, it's possible that you, you would say, well, I actually don't see in in the garden, any use for money. Like, we don't get a picture of Adam and Eve having to go to the grocery store to buy anything. We don't see any sort of buying and selling or uh, economy that exists within the garden. But the interesting question to ask then behind that question is, well, why is that? Why is it that Adam and Eve didn't have this concept of money? Why is it that they didn't have to go to the grocery store to purchase things. And, and I'll give you the answer. Go to Genesis chapter 2. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2, we're going we're gonna to read verses 15 to 17. Uh, again, this is, this is the... Genesis 1 and 2 are, are two, of this, uh, two, two pictures of the same event. And so this is a, another Hebrew kind of poetry uh, narration of the creation event. And here is, is what we see. After God's created the cosmos, he's created the earth, he's created Adam and Eve, he's placed them in the garden. Here is what we see in verse 15 of chapter 2. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, and this is, this is where I want to kind of hone in. He says, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Verse 17, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We will come back to that. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So we get this picture here of God taking man, placing him in the garden, and saying to him, you are free to eat from any tree with the exception of one tree. Now, what is the picture that is being portrayed for us here? It's a picture of abundance. Adam, and by extension, Eve are granted by God everything and anything they could possibly want and more. 
fill this picture of abundance out, we know from what we've been talking about in this series, we know from what we talked about in the last series, this picture of abundance rather, it, it, it went beyond just their, their needs being met. But they had abundance in terms of their relationship with God. We're told that they walked with, with God in the cool of the garden. They had abundance in their relationship with, with one another. We're told, uh, and we've talked about this many times, but between them, they were naked and there was no shame. And this is not a, a comment on, uh, on their clothing. This is a comment on the state of their souls. There was no pretense within their relationship. But we're also told that they, they lived and existed within this garden and they had absolutely no need. And the picture that is being painted for us uh, by, by uh, Moses who authored this and, and what God is wanting us to see at the beginning of his story is that, that the, the human experience is intended to be one of abundance. That Adam and Eve literally had anything and everything that a person could possibly want and more. And what we see in the garden is that this, this picture of abundance, this reality of abundance, that it, that it actually flows right from the hand of God. God is the one who spoke this abundance into existence. God is the one who gives them this abundance to enjoy. And here is why, and this is really important, because life in the garden was intended to be a reflection of what God himself is actually like. So the life of abundance that Adam and Eve were given to enjoy is actually intended to be for us a picture of the lavish love and the lavish grace and the lavish goodness of God. The abundance that they are given in the garden is actually a picture of the nature and the character and the essence of who God is in his very being. In other words, abundance is who God is. It's who he is. And it's important for us in this Context to understand the why behind the what. So if abundance is who God is, and abundance is what God gives to, to be a reflection of who he is to Adam and Eve, we, we have to dig a little bit deeper in order to understand exactly what is going on here. And none of this should be new because this is this is all things that we these are all things that we've been talking about over the last number of weeks. But but why is it that God gave Adam and Eve this? Abundance. Well, the first one, which we've already talked about, is because it is a reflection of who he is. But there's another reason that is worth drilling into just a little bit. The reason that God gave them this abundant life and all the abundance that they were to enjoy is because he actually had a work for them to do. Talked about that last week. And the work that they had to do, the work that God had given them to do, required his abundance in order to be able to fulfill what he had called them to do. So what was the work? We'll, we'll turn there. Go, go one page to the left or one swipe to the left. Actually, in my Bible, I think it's on the same page. It is on the same page. Genesis chapter 1. Let's just read um, verse 28. We're told this, that God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the, in, uh, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and every other living creature that moves on the ground. So again, you follow 
follow the, the train of thought here. So God grants Adam and Eve abundance because it, it's the very essence of who he is. He, he's a, a lavish, loving, gracious, kind, merciful God. And so he pours out his abundance on Adam and Eve. And then he gives them a work to do that, that requires the abundance that he gives them in order to do it. And what is the work that they are called to do? They're called to fi- be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, again, follow, follow this train of thought here. They are called to make the world, to work in the world in such a way that it would actually be a reflection of who God is, what he is, what his very essence is. So, so we get this picture here of Adam and Eve who are made in the image and likeness of God. And hence, because they are made in the image and likeness of God, Adam and Eve have been given a life of abundance and they've also been given a work to do. And all of this is, is sort of this picture that God is trying to paint for us of them living a life and doing a work and experiencing a reality that is going to tell the truth about what God is like. So what we have to understand about what God is doing in the garden is that the abundance that he gave to them was given to them so that they could fulfill the mission that he had also given them. This is going to become foundational to how we understand the blessings of God. To make this really simple, God blessed Adam and Eve God gave Adam and Eve abundance so that they could use the abundance that they had been given to make the world look more like God looks. So here's the principle. Here's the principle that I want to pull out, and I think we all need to have this as a theological framework for how we view God's abundance and provision. And again, there's going to be varying degrees of what that looks like in this room. But at the very core, how we view what we have has to be filtered through this theological lens. And here is the principle. We are stewards, not owners. We are stewards, not owners. So so what does this mean? Well, in the same way that Adam and Eve were given abundance in order that they may steward the abundance that God had given them to make the world look more like God, we too have been given abundance in order that we may steward it in order to make the little garden plot, the proverbial part of the garden that we find ourselves in, to make that look more and more like Jesus. Now, of course, this principle applies uh, beyond just our money. It literally applies to every aspect of who we are as people, but we must understand that this also applies to our money. I think You know, I used to jokingly say, I haven't said in a long time, but I used to jokingly say the last part of a person to get saved is their wallet, right? (laughs) It's like, I will give my time. I will, youth group needs my van for sure. Like, money? No, no. But all of our lives belong to God and all of our lives have been given to us by God, in order that we could steward and we are called to steward them for the glory of God, to tell the truth about what God is like. So to make this really simple, we own nothing. God owns everything. And he gives it to us just like he gave to Adam and Eve to show show us how good he is. 
and he gave it to us so that we would steward the good gifts that he has given us to make this world look more like him, to tell the truth about what he is like. You're a steward. You're not an owner. Let that sink in for just a minute. Take a moment to imagine how that might impact how you view your finances, even that phrase, your finances, is theologically incorrect. Take a moment to let that sink in, how that might impact the finances that God has blessed you with. Like we've been saying in this whole series, the biblical story, the biblical narrative is not just over here somewhere, this Bible that we read from time to time, but it's actually the human story. So it is God's story that defines all of reality. It defines all of reality for us. And there's a reason why when we hear this truth laid out this clearly that it rubs against us because of Genesis 3, because of sin. So, so let's, let's d- continue to dig here. Let's continue to dig and, and ask the question, what has happened, what happened in the garden that has had this echo effect into our lives today and has warped and shaped the way that we think about the abundance of God? So go back to Genesis chapter 2. Here is uh, this, this passage of scripture that many are maybe wondering about, but God commanded the man, it says in verse 16, God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But look at what he says in verse 17. 